millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Black Hole Cinema. I'm Dan Taylor, back after a few weeks away, and I'm being joined uh, by the man himself, Mr Tony Black. Good evening all. And also returning after a while away is Matt Latham. Hello there. When was the last time you were on, Matt? When was the restraining order? <laughs> that was back when the Oscars was on, wasn't it? <laughs> I, think, I think that was momentarily forgotten when you were on the Avengers special about, about yeah. two months ago. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I was live from a prison cell. Yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> What's, how's, how's things going? Have you, have you been released? I'm, you're released now, I assume. I do, yes. Um, I am pretty sure I am. Um, you know how rappers have like platinum discs? Littering all through corridors. Yeah, I have that with restraining orders from celebrities. Oh, wonderful! <laughs> it's quite a long list. I'm thinking it was it's a long, long corridor. It's a long corridor. <laughs> the grin on his face as he said that was quite unnerving. I must say. Um, oh, you're in the cell with him? Yes, I am. I mean, I mean, he's, he's house arrest. Cell yeah, with visiting his tag. <laughs> you, should, you should see the bling on my ankle <laughs> as uh, Emma mentioned a couple of weeks ago we've changed format slightly Tony who hosted last week um, did his segment uh, what did you talk about Tony? I talked about um, Steven Spielberg it's a new uh, section called Director's Corner which uh, will be back very soon when we do a Terminator special but um, you can probably guess what I'm going to talk about there but I won't spell it out McGee! Yep. obviously McGee of course McGee um, um. And Emma did was it Dead Meat? Was that her? Yeah, her? Emma did Dead Meat, which was Dead Meat, great. which I'm sure we'll be back next week. I think. Yes, uh, probably, uh, if uh, that's the plan. And Emma's talking about horror. Yes, and uh, my feature, which will be coming up later in the show, uh, which is um, actors, but also later on, as we do more of these, it'll be directors and films uh, who haven't won Oscars, who should have done. Um, but this week, we'll be concentrating on uh, male actors who uh, perhaps have been nominated or have been part of a nominated film but haven't necessarily won the Oscar themselves. Uh, but we've also got the news coming up, as well as the UK box office, and our reviews this week are of um, the film adaptation of Entourage, um, as well as the Ian McKellen doing Mr Holmes uh, later on in the show. But up first, we've got the news stories uh, for this week. I'll kick off with the first one. Uh, it's Spider-Man related, um, and WikiLeaks have been at it again, um, leaking emails between Sony and Marvel 
where apparently, uh, I believe it's Marvel, has said that Spider-Man not only needs to be white, but he also needs to be straight. So that's a controversial uh, news story to start off with. Matt, you mentioned that they are thinking of doing a TV series. I read something, uh, it, was on my, it was on my Facebook feed, I think, uh, earlier today, that they were thinking of doing a, a Amazing Spider-Man series, but with mm-hmm. Miles Morales rather than Peter Parker. So I'm not sure where... Well, I think it's the more... Isn't it the movie series that was talking about the casting rather than... Yes, yeah, it was, it was actually leaked... Uh, it was actually emails from back in September 2011, so you've got to assume they're talking about the amazing Spider-Man rather than the, obviously, the supposed deal that's happened most recently, um, where Marvel obviously are getting more of a say about the cinematic Spider-Man. But basically, they've said um, Peter Parker character traits include his full name is Peter Benjamin Parker, he is Caucasian and heterosexual, and then goes on to say a lot of other stuff. Is that too specific? Or is, you know, are people being too, you know, sensitive to the issue? Or, you know, are kind of Marvel slash Sony in the wrong? So it's so it's basically a long character document that they're mm. given. Yeah, I think this Marvel have just gone. This is what we're allowing you to do with the character, because it also says uh, the agreement includes um, that Spider-Man is not homosexual in brackets, unless Marvel has betrayed that alter ego as a homosexual in the comics, which, as far as I'm aware, they haven't with Peter Parker. I think what what we what we're facing here is an element of practical box office. Concerns. Yeah. Now, now, you know, let's let's take away any discussion about the right and wrongs of this. Let's go with practicalities in terms of how these people think. These people aren't moralistic. They're not bothered about what people feel and think. They're not about. They're not about being progressive. They're not about necessary. They're only progressive if it benefits their money. Mm-hmm. Now, these people know that there's a lot of people, unfortunately, in America, a big audience share, who not want to go and see a gay Spider-Man. Yeah, they won't. Like they won't want to go and see a black Spider-Man. So the reason they're saying this isn't because they're, des- they're, they're being racist or necessarily or trying to offend. They are unfortunately are playing to the gallery and it means that until people decide to take a stand against this kind of, kind of thing and risk losing a lot of money, mm-hmm. nothing's going to change and you won't yep. get people going to see this regardless. That's the, that's the ultimate truth of this and it's a sad mm-hmm. truth and it's an unfortunate truth but that's what mm-hmm. it is. But it's, but it's just the same as they also, they also say in the document uh, Spider-Man does not use or Peter Parker does not use foul language beyond PG-13 does not smoke tobacco does not sell or distribute illegal drugs does not abuse alcohol does not have sex before the age of 16 does not have sex with anyone below the age of 16 so they, they do go into quite a lot of detail about the do's and don'ts with the character it's obviously just variety in this case who have done the so art picked so out these two things I'm thinking is it um, cocaineonline.com going saying uh, Marvel don't want Spider-Man dealing drugs this is an outrage <laughs> we, want our, we want our superheroes yeah. to deal drugs yeah. I'd like to know how much you know about cocaineonline.com because you seem, <laughs> you seem to be very knowledgeable about that website uh, our next news story is actually again from Variety.com. Uh, I found quite a few stories from there this week. Inside Out debut exposes absurdity of box office horse race. And basically the article goes on to talk about um, how the horse race mentality that both studios and kind of the public and the media um, kind of look at um, actually ignores the fact um, that the film that perhaps gets second or third place um, actually is doing just as well or does perhaps better and is setting records in its own right because um, it's the only place that I've seen that apparently Inside Out um, has actually set a new record for uh, best ever opening for original film 
uh, crushing the 77 million uh, watermark that was set by Avatar back in 2009 because they opened this weekend in the States with 91 million dollars um, which you know was only was only just 10 million shy of Jurassic World but because Jurassic World and we we you know such a massive um, film and we're always interested in who is top of the box office rather than who's second. Um, nobody's actually talking about the fact um, that they're setting records in their own right. Um, and it actually goes back to the fact that Mad Max, despite how much we loved Mad Max, it was second to Pitch Perfect 2. Yeah. So it's interesting. There's been a lot of hype about Inside Out, hasn't there? Yeah, it's, it's been touted as the next big Pixar, mm. Pixar thing. It's getting a lot of really great buzz. Mm. Um, before release, we don't. We won't get it for another month. I think. I think in no. July we get it. It's um, got a great cast as well. It's a great cast. It's a, it's a lovely idea. It's a typically Pixar animated idea. Um, it could be the next up, you know, in terms of yes. in terms of benchmark and, and emotion. Mm. Um, and it's it's nice to see it doing well. But again, Pixar is one of these built-in brands now that yeah. adults will go and see Pixar. This is this is the thing. You know, there's a lot of animation that kids would only traditionally go and see and there's still animated films that kids would only traditionally go and see but adults enjoy Pixar just as much as children now yeah. so they will they will go and quite often quite a lot of them will go and watch it in IMAX yeah. as well an IMAX 3D and that's an important point to make with this with these blockbusting uh, opening rep weekends like we've just had with the ridiculous Jurassic World take mm-hmm. you know a lot of this is now down to the IMAX factor and the fact they're charging people double yeah so well, that's, that's the thing, is obviously, that's where a, a kid's film, particularly, will always kind of be um, behind, because you won't take a family, generally, um, to an IMAX, um, and actually, a lot of kids won't sit through 3D or IMAX, and, you know, so it's easier for them and cheaper for the family to, to go and see a 2D performance of something, um, and actually... Um, the vice president and chief analyst at boxoffice.com said that at the end of the day it doesn't matter being number one is overrated because any other weekend Inside Out would have been number one but not only is it pitted against Jurassic World um, it's also having to compete as you said with the kind of 3D and IMAX effect of that film um, whereas this one perhaps wouldn't take as much money in that area as maybe Jurassic World still because we all remember Jurassic World is taking 100 and um, uh, what was it 110 um, yes it's about over 100 million Jurassic World's taken in its second week and that's its second week it's yeah. taken that amount of money and 91 million is impressive but obviously it's the first week for most um, states in America it's the first week of the summer holidays um, so that's likely to actually probably have a better run in the fact that for the for the full six or eight weeks of the summer holidays over in the States, Inside Out will be showing back-to-back, you know, all week, every day, and will do well. Yeah. Um, just the same as when it's released over in the UK. The reason we partly will wait a month is because our summer holidays is almost a month, a month away from where the US holidays are. Yeah, uh, so, and, you know, you, we've got... Uh, well, I say we've got America. We've got July Fourth coming up, which is a, is a massive day for family cinema. Um, where something like Inside Out, particularly, will, will excel. Yeah, but it's it's nice to see it doing well. You know, it's, it's I think it's always important that these Pixar films do it because yeah, absolutely, they're so well done and they they give out really good messages um, for children. So mm. I'm all I'm all over that. I think that's fantastic. Wonderful. And our first review of uh, this week is Entourage. Boy! You're upset. Upset? 
I gave you $100 million. You're $15 million over. You agreed to not go over. Because you said I couldn't direct unless we agreed. It's like when a girl asks if you want to bang her hot sister. Of course you say no. Neither of you really believes you mean it, though. What is he doing here? Movie star Vincent Chase, together with his boys Eric Turtle and Johnny, are back and back in business with super agent turned studio head Aria Gold on a risky project that will serve as Vince's directorial debut. Matt. Question to you, Dan. Where yes. did you get that synopsis from? IMDb. Does it not sound anything like the film? <laughs> because I've always had a bit of an iffy relationship with the TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give, to give you some background for me. Um, because I, I, I owned a good five... I think I was about five seasons on DVD at one point. Um, and I really did enjoy the series. Um, it's not amazingly great. It's fu- it was very funny and it had quite a few interesting things to say about the nature of friendship and perhaps a little bit about Hollywood in general but um, the show always had a bit of a problem when it came to conflict or trying to generate drama Mm -hmm. no pun intended one of the characters name is drama Uh, (laughs) uh, just to Mm. offer some clarification on why that was a pun that wasn't (laughs) supposed to be a pun but I think the the show never really never really made things difficult for the main character of Vince until about the third or fourth series. This film ended, ends up having a lot of those similar problems in terms of that it kind of forgets what conflict and drama and an actual story is mm-hmm. because you say, you say you gave me a synopsis and says that it's about Vincent Chase creating this, his directorial debut. Ten minutes in, the film's more or less finished. So you, so the film's not going to be about him filming this film. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be about the troubles of uh, a very well-known actor in the universe, Entourage, and the troubles it will make doing this film. So I thought, okay then, so what's it going to be? Um, oh, okay then, um, Ari Gold, who's played by Jeremy Niven, who used to be his agent in the series, and now the head of a studio, um, Needs to get wants needs to get more money because Vince needs more money to edit the film. Okay, so it's going to be about financing, which technically it is, but then that kind of, that story gets slightly pushed out the wayside, and you then get then it's an excuse for Hayley Joel Osment to show up and be absolutely shit, um, <laughs> and in a very strange Texan accent, uh, which I probably could do better. No. No, no. <laughs> I just, go, I, on, I, go, go on, give it a go. I, I, I always... <laughs> no, 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 no. You're not going to have the dignity of my Texan accent now because of that. You don't have any dignity. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> um, but you think it's going to be financing and then it's and then it's kind of not. Then you think, oh, hang on. Um, Harry Joel Osman's character, who's a co-financier, he's, he's blocking the film blocking money for the film so that Vince so Vince Chase can finish editing because he doesn't like the fact that his half-brother's in it for four scenes. I want his half-brother out there. So, oh, okay, then so the film's really about the relationship with his half-brother. And because his half-brother, who's uh, played by Kevin Dillon, 
Mm-hmm. Um, the character's called Drama, and he's the bro- he's the less famous brother of Clinton Chase, and he's played by Kevin Dillon, who's the less famous brother of Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon. Yeah. So yeah, better humour. But no, that's get brushed outside as well, and then it kind of stumbles its way to a resolution, and you're thinking, okay, what exactly is the film about? And then it's over, and you're thinking, okay. The characters got happy endings, but what was the actual story of the film? It it doesn't seem to have any cohesive idea of what it wants to be. It throws in a subplot with Kevin Connolly's character of E, which is so mind-bogglingly dull and has no overall effect on the actual plot that you wonder why it's there. Uh, and the general consensus I got when I ended up watching it was it it's more an extended TV episode or a finale for the TV series. Um, mm. characters turn up and show up with no real introduction that if you'd never seen the show you go then why is Constant Zimmer there um, trading barbs with Jeremy Niven's character why is um, Debbie Mazar oh, I love Debbie Mazar and her character is one of the best things in the show she's not in every episode she's like in only about a third of them but she's one of the best things in the show mm. uh, as <clears throat> Shauna she's um, Vince Chase's publicist and she's also the publicist for drama as well and then she shows up and starts saying you need to do this this and this and anyone just watching this is thinking who the freaking hell is this girl just coming up telling people what to do um, Alan Dale turns up in a suit in an American accent as he always seems to do yeah. um, only on the big screen this time rather than the small screen <laughs> and suddenly starts shouting stuff without, and he only gets like one exposition line of dialogue um, of who he is when in fact if you'd watched the TV show you know he's a very powerful man who's made things a bit trouble in the past and it, se- it seems as if the sh- it seems as if HBO would just wanted to stick this on the on the big screen rather than on the small screen. Mm. Um, it sounds like it's like doing that. that that really sort of that bad trick, uh, for want of a better description of of doing a, a movie version of a TV show without paying any heed to people who may not have seen the show before. Yeah, it's it, it's it does try and. Because it has its um, info dump. I mean, we saw Veronica Mars. So that's what I was about to say. I was about to say the fact that I was going to compare it to the Veronica Mars movie, which um, almost does everything you said. It, this it doesn't doesn't do everything this film apparently does do yeah, wrong. Because it does. Veronica Mars film does give some kind of resolution to the characters, mm. but it was very accessible. There's like an opening primer that helped yes. you a lot. Um, mm, as it well. did, yeah. Yeah, it helped you a lot. Entourage does try that with. Um, an introduction and it's like a, a celebrity showbiz interview type thing which gives you know like Vincent Chase grew up in this this and this and he's surrounded by his entourage blah 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 but the only problem is it's it's hosted by fucking Piers Morgan oh. the, one of the first few people once you get this opener where you see this boat and all these girls in the bikinis come in and then for three minutes his entourage joins him on his honeymoon and he finds out that after nine days um, Vince's marriage at the end of the TV series has been annulled after nine days which is like oh right okay so it meant nothing. Yeah. So yeah, I think it only slips with one girl in the eighth season, which is unheard of for Entourage. But um, and then it suddenly cuts to Piers Morgan saying, "Who is Vincent Chase?" And I'm like, "Oh, for fuck's sake! What's, what's this prick doing? On, what's this prick doing? Like a thousand times the size of me? Why? Why is he on the big screen?" And he just and then he just seems to be on there for what seems like an absolute eternity. Unfortunately, he does show up again in it and. He tries to, he tries to act, and and he seems to, to try and re, 
prescripted lines and oh, oh god um, the thing is, yeah. And the thing is, it's like it's an odd choice of person as well. Since the fact that this, I'm assuming this film must be made before he got fired, because yeah. He, yeah. even even then he's still not the most accessible for an American audience. I mean, I was sitting there going like, why can't someone like Ryan Seacrest? And I, at one point, I think he, I remember thinking that, thinking actually, is Ryan Seacrest a name I've just made up, or is he an actual person? Uh, and I remember yeah. saying, he's, he's a real, person. he's a real person. Yeah. So I thought I might have made him up at one point. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it is not the it's not the worst worst thing. It's it's just... of all the all the people they could have chosen, you know, as, as know. James, James Gordon, Conan O'Brien, you know, anybody that they could have chosen out of the talk show host, they chose the guy that got fired, yeah, <laughs> and that no one likes. You see, you see, now I, I have a question there because maybe I don't necessarily think this is true. I have no opinion of this at all. Right, I've never seen the TV show. I've never never had any much interest in seeing the TV show. I don't have any prejudgment about this movie at all. But maybe one of the big th- I did listen to the Mark Kermode rant, and boy, was it a rant! You know? I, I did see it afterwards. I didn't watch it before I went to go and see it. He hasn't been that savage about anything. He was honest about this at the time. Yeah. Sex in the City too, and that is his most epic rant ever. Now, one thing he said was that this film has no level of satire. It tries to make out it thinks it does, but it doesn't. Yes. Yeah. Does the does the inclusion of Piers Morgan, who we now know has been sacked, right? And and he's, you know, he was effectively rejected in a way by the US. Is is that not maybe a hint that, that there actually is some satire in here that maybe Piers Morgan being in it is actually the point that he's he's a, an idiot? Well, with the, the commode thing, um and he probably says as well that he's never seen the series and He's been he's been told stuff about the series might be better. Um, I've never seen the series as being satire. It's right. not. It's not a satire of Hollywood. It's more a show. The main thing about the show is the, the friendship between these four people, where one of them happens to be like a world famous movie star, um, and who's got a brother who was famous for doing like the nineteen ninety five sci fi series, what, like a, a Hercules style series called Viking Quest. Like goes ends up going to conventions and stuff, and thinks he thinks he's the best actor ever, and his manager, etc., etc. But and it's, I don't, it's never, it was never meant to feel like it was supposed to be satire. Um, it's more, it's actually Mark Wahlberg is, what well, he was a massive creative executive producing force on the TV series, mm. and a lot of, I think quite a few of the storylines on there in there was based on events in Mark Wahlberg's life. So mm. there's the argument that it was almost semi-biographical at a point, mm. um, more than being satire. Mm. Um, and there's the whole thing about him being uh, the whole male fantasy bit, that he, he says, this is not a fantasy I want. There's probably people out there who probably do want that fantasy. It's not particularly marketed very well in the show, in the, in the film itself. It's very much like, it's, I mean, the opening bit is like a rap video. Yeah. Where you walk in, mm. within ten seconds you see a girl walking across topless, mm. and I did say to myself, I, I did kind of guess that you, Mark Mark, would be ranting about that. I said, no, no, I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to be bad. I, that's not going to annoy me. And he did annoy me ten seconds in. <laughs> and I, and it, it's very rare I get annoyed about that. I'm like, yeah, okay, take it at face value. It's just going to be like this, 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 and this. But he hates. But he, but he hates, and he's probably not the only one. He hates the very idea of the messages that this film is conveying by the sound mm. of it. You know, and it, that it's it's putting across. This idea, this is, and I'm, like I say, I'm purely going by what the people are saying here. But he's putting across this idea that that all this kind of vacuous chasing of, of celebrity and wealth and consumerism is cool, 
without any hint of the fact that it just it, it, in reality it's it's a dream that very few people ever get and it destroys and wrecks most people's lives who get it. Yeah. So there's yeah. no like there's no under level of well, yeah, okay, it may look good on the outside, but underneath it's a pit of horror and nest of yeah. vipers. But that, yeah, well, was, there, was there any kind of evidence of that in the TV series? Was there any dark side to it? Or was it all just happy-go-lucky, yeah. let's get pissed and shag girls? For the first few seasons, it was pretty much let's get pissed and let's shag girls. And the moment you tried to introduce more um, conflict into it, it much needed conflict, it kind of decided to go a bit off the rails. And I've, I've, I only recently realised I never saw the eighth season, which, and I think, and a bit of the seventh, which, and there was bits about things like Chase having a drug problem and going into rehab, which I completely missed, admittedly. Um, but that all this, all those references to all that was just gone. Doug Ellis, who created the show, he wrote and directed it. Yeah, he he's always, he seems to always has a problem with trying to generate conflict. There's, there's, prob- there's probably a lot better stories they could have done in the film. I mean, the whole fact about someone trying to, someone like Vinnie Chase. Um, trying to get to create this film that he wants to make would probably have been a good series. Good, good series. But then as soon as he says he wants to direct, he jumps to eight months later, and then mm-hmm. he just needs to he needs to go and get the uh, this money for financing and stuff. And it, tur- it turns out that the only reason that Halle Joel Osmond is is actually denying Vince Chase the money is because of Emily Ratajkowski or something. Because I think Vince is now dating her, and like Halle Joel Osmond yeah. is jealous. That's it. I've got to be honest. Look, looking at this, this was not something that kind of appealed to me because I hadn't seen the TV series. Because the trailers made it look so naff, I had no real interest in it. But the kind of premise of the series is quite interesting for me. I just kind of feel like that this isn't the kind of thing that translates onto film as a direct continuation of something that already exists. I think they could have done a reboot as a film. But I don't think they could do a continuation. And I think I think 24 knows quite well. I think it knows the film won't work, which is why they try to do a continuation of the series instead. Yeah, um, it's the, the, the film itself feels like an extended TV episode, which is a criticism I've seen quite a lot, and mm-hmm. I've got to agree with. Yeah, well, that's, that's the thing. A movie doesn't have the same amount of time. Yeah, I mean, and then I, I really wanted people to be misjudging this film, but the part of me that likes that liked the few, some of the characters in it. I mean, I I love Ari Gold. Ari Gold's one of the. He's probably the best bit in this series, and he's the best bit in the film. You just yeah. spend, you just Jeremy Piven spends well spends it shit trying not to go on a massive rant that he used to do because he's in anger management. He's yeah. marriage, and he's not and he's not going to go on the rant, be the anger ranting, like using the the largest amount of swear, the, the biggest amount yeah. of swear words in one mm-hmm. sentence he's going to be doing this he's going to be doing this and then he snaps punches punches the glass out of the window and he's back and the part the part of me that loved that kind of light scene that yeah yeah he, considering he's not the main character of the series he gets the majority of the narrative push um, but, but the reason is because I've never seen the show but if the, if somebody said to me name a character from Entourage I would name Ari, Ari Gold he, he's, yeah. he's the person I think of. Oh, he's, the, he's definitely so the character. He's, he's obviously, throughout the series, he's the character that made the biggest impression. Yeah. It wasn't the other guy. Yeah. No. Right? That's the point. Yeah. That's why in the film he's got more to do. The, the, the thing that strikes me is that, that Doug Allen's kind of, is kind of thinking one of two things. A, that, you know, 
he could have done a reboot of this and brought it to the big screen to a whole new audience, or he can continue this kind of, not, I'm not going to call it ego trip, but he can continue having this, you know, labour of love for this TV series that he wants to continue. But unlike Rob Thomas in Veronica Mars, he seems to think that this can be marketed to a whole new audience, because for some reason, this has got a massive worldwide release. With Veronica Mars, we struggle to even get it here in the UK. Um, and, you know, arguably that came through the fact that itself, you know, struggled to find funding um, to get the film off the ground and then distributed. But Veronica Mars and, you know, Rob Thomas at least had a kind of self-awareness that this was more a film just for the fans of the TV series. And if it picks up new fans, then great. Whereas from the impression I seem to have get of Entourage is that Doug Ellen thinks it's going to pick up a whole new legion of fans and they're going to get... You know, two or three fucking sequels out of it. I, I don't. I can't see him making any sequels from it. Uh, there is some elements. Well, of no, it's not done very well. <laughs> well, yeah, there, there are elements of closure, and I'm quite a glad I went to see it because it does feel like they've closed it. But the thing, the thing with that as well is, I mean, I think you're right, Dan. But I think the the, the problems they've got there, realistically, is that Entourage has never been a massive mega, no. mega success everywhere. You know, it was a relatively successful show. It that ran for a long time, but it mm. it, it wasn't necessarily. A, a, we're not talking Game of Thrones Lost style mega hits here. No, that would absolutely chew up the box office if they'd become films because they would have done. Mm. You know, we're talking about that, and also you, you're talking about this. Yeah, okay, I know Mark Wahlberg's in it, and you've got celebrity cameos, but we're talking about a show with no stars, exactly, no where major it's... stars. Yeah, um, you know, and so you put all the no major director either to anchor it to. No. You're talking about a show that's quite niche in a way, mm, and, and, and you know, it may have this consumerist, this populist idea, and it'll be all about girls and cars and all this kind of thing. But it's it's a, it, 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 quite honestly, it's a bit of a strange. It's a bit of a strange thing to have made a movie like this. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked we're even talking about it, really. Yeah, you know, when you've got the comparison, really? is Veronica Mars has set up a sort of, kind of really low-budget and um, mm. really um, kind of um, limited release. Um, worldwide, not just, you know, in America. Yeah. Okay, worldwide, it was a very limited release. And that had a massive film star in it. I say a massive film star. You know, uh, Kirsten Bell has carved out quite a yeah, you know good... Yeah, Kirsten Bell is. Yeah. Exactly, you know, and so she's kind of, they didn't need to put Mark Wahlberg in it because it already had a recognised star. And again, you've got X-Files, again, you know, you've got two stars there that translate both yeah. film and television. But this has absolutely nobody, so they've had to kind of shoehorn Mark Wahlberg in. I don't know how much he actually gets in it, I'm assuming it's no more than an extended cameo. Yeah, um, it, it, it is pretty much an extended, of all the celebrity cameos in it, they work. They actually do work as well. Work like they did in TV series. Is that mm. if you've got something set in Hollywood, you do cross paths with mm. occasionally. There's, there is there is a quite a funny bit where Ari and his wife are going to couples therapy, and they walk out, and Kelsey Grammer's there going, "It's a waste of money. It's a waste of money." Mm. That's that's Kelsey Grammer. He sounds like an Arab. <laughs> <laughs> waste of money. Waste of money. Yeah. That can't be Kelsey Grammer. Yeah. Really. <laughs> Yeah, no, so in conclusion, it just seems bizarre that this film has got the kind of worldwide release that it has. It's, you know, arguably the second biggest film of the week. Um, and I know it's been released at a time where there is a massive blockbuster around. But it's just bizarre that this one in particular seems to be, you know, seems to we were talking about it. It's, it's a bit odd that we're talking about this one and not something else. <laughs> so moving on to the box office for last weekend now. But we'll all be surprised to to know that uh, two by two has has not had a recurrence. It's not 
gone back into the top ten. Oh, no. Uh, no, and I'm disappointed. It's only number 14. Uh, I was hoping for the best. And, and Holmes actually slipped out as well of the top ten this week. That's number 11. But no surprises is that this is kind of it's going down like a lead balloon. Tomorrowland, uh, it's only been in uh, only been out here in the UK for four weeks, but it's already at number ten. Number nine is uh, Avengers: Age of Ultron, which with the summer holidays etc. cropping up in America and us in a few weeks, that might well still hang around in the top ten for a couple more weeks yet. That's dropped a bit. That was, that was it has number five. Yeah, dropped quite a bit. Uh, number eight is uh, London Road. That's um, one of our only new releases out last week. It's a UK release. Um, took 216,000 um, in its first week. You actually went to see this for your birthday, Tony. Number seven, Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Cinema 2015, that's at number seven. Um, that's gone up a place. Mm. How much uh, has it taken now? The weekend gross yeah. um, was 261,000. Um that uh, uh, that is the total to date apparently so far. Um, site average five thousand, so that's quite impressive. Yeah, they're, they're, they're being cheeky here because they're counting the seventy-five pound entry fee as as, as, as their stop. <laughs> which is which is why this is going to yeah. this will be in the this will be in the top ten now till yeah. September. Oh, actually no, I'm uh, I'm reading the um I'm reading the wrong line. Sorry, it's it's actually the uh, total gross today is six hundred and six. Yeah, yeah six hundred and sixty-six thousand. Oh, that's not good. He took, he, took, he took three hundred grand last week. Yeah, for for mm. two days. They're, they're being very cheeky. This is this is going to last all all seasons, <laughs> which I think is a real. I mean, don't begrudge Star Wars anything, but it's a cut. No. <laughs> it is a bit. Yeah, it's a real cut. Um, number six, uh, it's never been able to leapfrog Pitch Perfect, it's still one place behind, is Mad Max Fury Road, um, still took just under 400,000 uh, last weekend, um, but it's uh, down 51% on last, or the weekend before, um, but has taken over 16 million um, so far to date in the UK. Still the best film of the year. Pitch Perfect 2, number five. Not the best film of the year, but no. arguably very, <laughs> arguably very enjoyable. Nevertheless, uh, taken total gross of six hundred million and eight hundred thousand, so just coming up to the seventeen million mark. I imagine by the time it drops out of the top ten, uh, I said six hundred million. Did I? Yeah. I meant sixteen. <laughs> six hundred million would be mighty impressive for the I, British I, box office. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mate, you, Dan, you totally laid them that one. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you've become a verb. Yeah, yeah totally lathemed. Yeah, you've been lathemed. That, that, that'd lathemed. be a new show for ITV. Mm. Insidious Chapter 3 is number four. That was reviewed uh, a couple of weeks ago. Was it Chris Haig that reviewed that one? No, Ian long. Austin went kermode on its ass. Oh, um, yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, not very good, did. apparently. No, but Chris Haig liked it, didn't he, though? So, um, you may have done, yeah. I think you did. Yeah. Oh, um, actually, um, Owen, Owen Hughes from Fire Critics, when he reviewed it, totally laid on that. Oh, no, did he? What did he yeah, do? He accidentally called it Incestuous 3. No, he didn't. <laughs> did he really? No. no. Uh, one, 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 of the, one, Brilliant. Of the, one of the panelists, well, one of the panelists kind of accidentally led him to say it. But, Wonderful. Uh, yeah, he totally uh, laid on that as well. That, that's a beautiful laden though, there. <laughs> 
Um, so if you want to go and um, rib Owen for that on Twitter, he's at OwenHughes86. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, Owen. Number three. <laughs> don't, tell him, don't tell him who sent you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, number three is uh, The Rock's San Andreas, uh, which took uh, just under a million pounds last weekend. Um, which is into its third week now, taking just under, literally just under 10 million um, to date. Um, number two is the fantastic comedy, uh, Spy, which I bloody loved. I thought it was brilliant. Oh, good. Uh, I was going to ask you, actually, if you liked yeah. Spy. I, th- uh, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed Spy. Yeah, 1.5 million last weekend. Um, I don't know what it would have taken this weekend, but probably still roughly that million pound mark. going. But then, obviously, it's competing against the number one spot, which is Jurassic World, taken at 19 million last weekend in the UK. Um, Believe it or not, though, not the highest grossing film of the year so far uh, in terms of opening weekends. Fast and Furious 7. It's behind quite a few, believe it or not. Um, Obviously, uh, Fast and Furious, as mentioned, also behind uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, which is the top spot. Also behind Fifty Shades of Grey. Um, horrendously enough also behind the theory of everything so there we go that's interesting to know it's about the fifth or sixth spot at the moment for um, the release here in the UK but it's still taking monstrous amounts of money uh, both here and in America for us as a company I work for a small uh, company in the southwest it's been by far our busiest film of the year so far Um, obviously we're generally outside of city centres and stuff we're more in um, small towns Um, and stuff so it's, it's a film that really has completely blown us away and in America it's still retained the number one spot this weekend um, taking there we go 102 million dollars in its second week um, which remarkable. is just really is remarkable. ridiculous I know it's difficult to compare US and UK because we're like talking about like a million quid over here sometimes <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Doing, but, yeah but that is an astronomical amount of money and no doubt it will still take at least half that next weekend um, I think it's likely to be if not the highest I, highest grossing film of the year then we're in the top three now I think really the, the steam is going I think mm. uh, I, I, this but we've had some, had some big hitters though already this year well I was about to say this year we've already had two well two nearly three if you count Fifty Shades of Grey which did very well and Fast and Furious uh, yeah you've had Avengers Fast and Furious Fifty Shades of Grey and now this yeah. but it's you know it's a combination I think of just these massive like Fifty Shades of Grey was this massive populist book mm. adaptation Fast and Furious 7 he's riding the, the whole coattails of Paul Walker's death as horrible yeah. and macabre as that is and Avengers is, is a Marvel product but then if you combine the fact that you've got the IMAX 3D element which I talked about earlier yep. for a lot of these things and then with Jurassic World of course it's, it's dinosaurs you know, yep. never underestimate the, the appeal of dinosaurs and the it's, it's, such, it's such a massive uh, Paul, it's you know, it's young, old. Because at first we were thinking, oh, the only people that are going to come see it are the people that were, you know, between the ages of kind of ten and, and eighteen. Yeah. The first time it came, you know, the, the first film. Um, so these people are probably going to be in their thirties or forties now, and they're they they are coming. But so are five year olds and ten year olds. And for the first time, um, I've had children walk out of Avengers and um, other kind of 12 A's that we've had out this year but this one not one I've had little three or four year olds coming out loving it and wanting to see it again um, and that's kind of the max appeal of this film but it's also a good indication we'll probably do nowhere near this but the likes of Terminator um, and Mission Impossible Rogue Nation which are also continuations of 
you know, quite old franchises. Um, and obviously, I, I don't think they're going to do anywhere near this. No, no they, they they will. I think globally be around your six hundred million mark. Yeah, they're not they're not going to get touch a billion because they're no. they're more they are more niche. To yes. an, I know they say it sounds ridiculous with them being two of the biggest franchises ever, but they're not they're not in compare if you compare compare them to a Marvel popular, mm-hmm. it's, they're not the kind of things that your little kids are going to go and see. No. No, no, but as 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 I said, it is a good indication for those two, and most importantly, which is closest to Jurassic World, obviously Star Wars, which is a complete giant anyway. Yeah. Um, it, it sh- Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It shows that people are still coming to the cinema. People still want to see um, these franchises on the big screen. um, And that, well, hopefully... They won't get too greedy, and you know. I know Chris Pratt signed on for another two, isn't he? Yeah, he, um, he knows. He knows where his bread put. Yeah, um, they're coming for event films, though. This is the point. Yeah, they're, they're not. Yeah. They're not really showing up for you know even less so than normal. They're not showing yeah. up for films that don't have a weight of of either you know franchise or press or or some kind of key element to them. You know, in the case of of mm. you know. Fast and Furious was, was a growing franchise. It also has cars, girls, guns. Mm. Um, you've got Avengers, obviously, which is the Marvel franchise, which is a behemoth in itself, and it's the superhero bubble. You've got Fast. You've got Fifty Shades of Grey, which is sex. Yeah, you know, and sex always sells. And then with Jurassic Park, you've got a combination of a franchise and the, the most famous monsters ever. Mm. So, but yeah, you, but, you but the thing is, I, re- I yeah, I remember writing an article in 2013. Um, about because it was a bad year, a really bad year for cinema. Um, not not quite in comparison to, to some of the dips they've had in kind of the nineties and the early two thousands, but it was a massive dip um, because it was seeming like the only thing people were coming to see were superhero films. Yeah, and all the you know critics and analysts were saying exactly the same. But this year has completely changed the landscape. And you, know, you say people aren't coming out to see ordinary films, 
you know, we just said the theory of everything is the third biggest um, opening weekend. You know, twenty-one million pounds in the UK alone. So that people are coming to see ordinary films. But it that just had Oscar buzz behind it. Yeah, obviously. There's always, yeah. always a reason. There's always something in a mm. slipstream. You know. Yeah. Tomorrowland is proof that yes. nobody yeah. went to see Tomorrowland because it had no slipstream. It was an original property. It wasn't getting a lot of critical buzz. Yeah. It didn't have a star who is appealing to the young. George no. Clooney's great, but no, no kids know who George Clooney is. Probably a lot no. of them don't now. No. You know, you've got no slipstream. And that's yeah. that's a big worry, really. Yeah, but but it's it's good for cinema that that the, these franchises are you know you know I remember when these were announced, thinking, oh, you know, is this going to do anything? You know, particularly at the time, Chris Pratt hadn't even come out with mm. Guardians of the Galaxy, so you thought, you know, who who's the star power there? Mm. Um, you know, they kind of felt lucky there, and you know, and I had my um, doubts about whether Star Wars was going to do anything, but with the you know, successes that we've had so far, and no doubt that Star Wars will completely will. blow open um, the record books. It should. Yeah. It should. I'd be surprised if Up next, our review of Mr. Holmes. It was 30 years ago. Watson had left, and the tourists had come back to Baker Street to catch a glimpse of the real Sherlock Holmes. Was that him? I have seen Sherlock Holmes with a hat and a pipe. <laughs> I prefer a cigar. I told Watson, if I ever write a story myself, it will be to correct the million misconceptions created by his imagination. Did you write such a story? I'm trying to do so now. The story is actually set in 1947, following a long-retired Sherlock Holmes living in a Sussex village with his housekeeper and rising detective son. But then he finds himself haunted by an unresolved 50-year-old case. Holmes's memory isn't quite what it used to be, so he only remembers fragments of the case. A confrontation with an angry husband, a secret bond with his beautiful, unstable wife. And, as we've already mentioned, stars Ian McKellen in the title role. Tony. Mr. Holmes, it's interesting because what it does is it gives you a complete new experience of, of Sherlock Holmes. You know, Sherlock Holmes has a is a built-in idea of who Sherlock Holmes is. You've either got the, you've got the two standard things now. You've got the the, the now the Benedict Cumberbatch kind of you know um, exciting, slightly sexy kind of modern Sherlock, but then you've got the old deer stalker hatty hat, pipe smoking, you know. Um, Victorian Sherlock of old, or you know the, the Robert Downey Jr. eccentric. You've, you've had, you have that vision of Sherlock Holmes. Yes. You know, in that he's quite, he's, he, you know, he's quick-witted. He's a dandy. He's young. He's off. You know, he's, he's, he's genius. This completely does it with Sherlock. Something entirely new and different. You know, it, it presents him as a man who's at the end of his life, and who the one great thing he had, which was his mind, is failing him. And it's it's a really interesting film about memory and the loss of memory and what it does to somebody like Sherlock Holmes. And crucially, you know, the, 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 the whole promotion of this is that it's Sherlock's final case. And the point, the, the wonderful point of this film is that the, the mystery that he has to unlock isn't actually a mystery at all, really, in terms of actual, without giving anything away. It's not a plot mystery like you would have had in The Hand of the Baskervilles or A Study in Scarlet or something like that, like a Conan Doyle story. It's a mystery about the human, the human heart, and the, and the humanity that Sherlock struggles with and has always struggled with, and he's at the end of his life where he's starting to wonder if he should have done things differently. Um, 
And it's a really interesting idea because you've never seen Sherlock like this. He's old, he's frail. Um, he still has, he can still do it. He can still do the moments of deduction. And there are a couple of lovely moments where he does. Um, and he, he can he guess, second guess what someone's going to say, or he's, you know. Uh, but he, uh, by and large, he can't. And the, the interesting thing, what they do with the narrative, it's based on a book called A Slight Trick of the Mind by a writer called Mitch Cullen. And it was adapted by Bill Condon, who worked with uh, Ian McKellen on Gods and Monsters about 20 years ago, which was about um, James Whale, the director of Frankenstein, one of the first only, the openly gay people in Hollywood, like in the 30s. And that was a, that was a character study as well. And it was about someone at the end of his life. And this is a similar kind of thing. And those two work really well together. And what this does is it... it presents the, the, the story in a fragmented style of storytelling so it's, it's it, it involves multiple flashbacks piled on flashbacks so it's it flashes back to a recent trip Holmes had to Japan where he's looking for something which ties into the what he's going through now and it also flashes back 30 years to when he's in his 60s and, and he's trying to solve his, his case so we're talking about Edwardian London in like the 1910s and the slightly post-war England where he's living in the Sussex coast um and he's like 93 and it's it flashes it, and you, the story doesn't make sense until the end and it jumbles about and why why that works normally that wouldn't work but why that works is because that's reflecting Holmes' mind because he can't quite put the pieces together and it's and it's a really interesting idea that you know you're talking about a man who previously was sharp he could get it all straight away he could deduct it immediately now he can't now he's trying to write out what happened 30 years ago to unlock this mystery that he's gnawing away at him and before he dies effectively hmm. and he can't do it and wonderfully the only thing the, the, the point the key that unlocks this is a young boy because we're, by this point Watson is long dead so he's not got his usual partner and one of the big things about it is that Sherlock Holmes needs Watson he needs a Watson he needs somebody to bounce off he can't do it all on his own and this young boy played by a really good young actor called Milo Parker um, really promising young actor um, helps bring that out of him, and it's a, it's quite touching. That's what it's really about their relationship, and it's quite touching. Yeah, sorry, I had to um, mute here, so let someone come in. Okay. Um, it's really quite touching that story between them, and Ian McKellen is phenomenal. I mean, he's he, he's always you know you know it's Ian McKellen, the only game, but he really is really makeup. I suspect he'll get a BAFTA or he'll get mm-hmm. nominated for a BAFTA I don't quite think he'll get nominated for an Oscar it's um, perhaps too early really yeah in, in terms of release from to be nominated for either um, but the most likely to the two is probably the BAFTA yeah I can see him getting a BAFTA nod he might not win it but I could see him getting a nod don't think he'll get an Oscar nod but uh, it's a wonderful performance it's, and it's a really sweet quite beautiful looking film and it's, it's what I also liked about it was that it kind of it kind of has a contrast between the old and the new in that there's a brilliant moment where he he's in Japan and he's in the smoking ruins of Hiroshima 
Yeah. Because this is just after the bomb has dropped. And you see his reaction to this. And it's the very idea that Sherlock Holmes would be in the ruins of an atomic bomb is really interesting in itself because he's that's so different from the world that you associate Sherlock Holmes with. Yeah, absolutely. You immediately see that he's so, he's so out of place now and that he doesn't fit and he knows this. And there's. It's just a really, it's a very slow piece. It's very melancholic. It's very reflective. But it's actually really quite moving, and it's one of those films that I really think is going to grow on me even more. And I think when I watch it again, I will really get even more out of it because you really, it kind of seeps into you, and it's 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 a really sweet natured film with a brilliant performance. Uh, Laura Linney's as well, isn't she? Truman Show. That's what I remember her from. Yeah, she's uh, she's so. weird because she's playing a. Uh, She's playing a, a very sort of stoutly, you know, quite serious housekeeper. Mm. Um, and you know, you've seen Laura. If you've seen Laura Linney in films before, she's sometimes been quite sexy in things, or she's been quite. Yes. Yeah. You know, she played comedy. It's a strange casting choice, but it, it works. She's actually, mm. she's actually pretty good because um, she's like the, the centre point and the rock in, in his life. Yeah. Um, and then you've got um, there's a cameo from John she- John Sessions. I won't say who he's playing, but you know, John Sessions is always good. Yes. Um, and uh, Roger Allen, who plays a, a, a local doctor, and Roger Allen's a great character actor. So you've got Francis de la Tour, you've got all these really good English actors popping up um, at various points as well. It's, yeah, it's it's just it's a it's really it's really good. It's a really really good film, and it it, it takes once you start thinking about it afterwards. I think Mark Kermode said this in the review actually. Once you start thinking about it afterwards, it actually you start to enjoy it even more. Yeah, I, mean, I, I know I like it even more when I watch it again. It's definitely the one I wanted to see this week. Mm. Uh, um, I, I will hold my hands. I'm not really that interested about Jurassic World. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will see it in this week, but um, before it starts disappearing in a few weeks' time. But um, out of the ones that have been released in the last few weeks, Mr. Holmes is definitely the most intriguing. It's a classy um, picture, you know. It, it, mm. It's a classy picture. It exudes classy. It won't be for everybody. No, but it's very slow. It um, the jumbled nature of the narrative will definitely put some people off without question. Right, it, it, it takes its time, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it, it's it really does it ooze class, you know. And McKellen is fabulous, um, and it's it, yeah, it, it just it's quite it's got plenty of layers to it. Does it does it lack a uh, a, a, a Watson star? Because obviously it's the chap that plays Lewis, isn't it, in the TV series that that ends up playing him? Does it kind of lack? His a big star presence for that role, or is it such a minor part because obviously he's long dead? No, there, again, without giving too much away, there, there is Watson is in there, but it, mm. it's very, very, very brief. Yeah, um, and you don't need someone for it. It's, no, it, if any, it really isn't about Watson or all this story. He, he's he's the, the, the shadow of him is there. Yeah, it's about Sherlock, and it, it would have. Having Watson involved just would have taken the point away from the whole thing, really, mm-hmm. because Sherlock is he's isolated, and that's the point. He's alone, and he's he's quite lonely, really. And that yeah. that's that's the very very that's a very crucial part of the film. Um, the other thing as well, actually, which I, I almost forgot to mention, is the fact that it's it's very meta in places, and, and I think you'd like it for this reason, Leighton. It actually it plays with the idea that that Sherlock is a fictional character within his own world. Right. So there are. Like Watson wrote all the memoirs that formed the basis of the books, in, you know, mm-hmm. Conan Doyle writing. But yep. he made, he, he, they really lived in the in the in the flat opposite to Twenty One Baker Street. 
to get the tourists away from where they really worked. Yes. He looks out the window when he like the 1910s and he sees all the tourists outside taking pictures. There's like a, he goes to a movie in like 1947 when he's old, which um, which is one of the old you know kind of Basil Rathbone kind of Sherlock Holmes. And funnily enough, it's it, the young Sherlock Holmes being played in the movie is being played by a guy called Nicholas Rowe who played young Sherlock Holmes in the TV series in like the 80s. So there's a lot of <laughs> meta stuff going on. Yes. And he's sitting there watching the, the filmed version of this case that he could never unlock because Watson wrote a fictionalised version with an ending that was not true. And he's right. sitting there watching this film and he's, he's just shaking his head to say, this isn't, this isn't how it works. <laughs> and then he comes out and he goes, it's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> I think I saw that in the trailer, wasn't it, I think? <laughs> yeah, and it's really good because there's a lot of that little playing with, with the meta side and this, the, the film within a film and the character within a character. Um, and there's an element of what is reality and what is fiction to this as well. It's, so it's, it's, that's a very interesting side of it, and I like that a lot as well. See, it I, plays with the myth of Sherlock Holmes. See, I've absolutely no, apart from it being a Sherlock Holmes, I have absolutely no idea before I came here about what was he about at all. I mm. no idea. It's like a blank slate. I didn't even know there was a film for Mr. Holmes at all. I'm actually quite interested in watching it now. Yeah. yeah, I think you'd like, definitely, you like the meta side of this. You very much like meta textual you know, ideas. And it has a lot. Of, it does have like underlying it as well. Um, but it, yeah, it's, a, it's a, a very different Sherlock story. I said in my written review, if you if you ever embarked on a, on a like a, a, fi, a, a journey through all the fi, all the TV and movie versions of Sherlock Holmes, if, this, yeah. if you chose this to be the last one you ever watched, it's quite fitting because it, it really does serve as a very much a nice little epilogue to Sherlock Holmes. It doesn't matter what version you watch, you know, this is a nice way to wrap up Sherlock's story, really. Uh, Well, Mr. Holmes and Entourage uh, are both out in cinemas in the UK now and will be around for probably another couple of weeks, uh, as well as this week's other release, which is The Longest Ride, um, starring Britt Robson um, from Burrowland, who we mentioned earlier. Um, That one's a drama romance, if that's your kind of thing. Um, I'm sure a review of those will be floating around the internet uh, if you fancy checking that out. And before we finish up the show, we'll be moving on to our uh, new feature, mine this week, as I mentioned earlier. So mine will be no way as analytical as Emma's or as in-depth <laughs> as Tony's. In fact, mine's more of a bit of a fun, bit of a fun kind of feature, really. Um, and we're kind of going to do it like a Hall of Fame type thing, where we'll go through actors and actresses, directors and films across um, my hosted shows and put together a Hall of Fames of people and films that haven't won an Academy Award and haven't got quite the award recognition that perhaps they deserve. We've all picked our actors for this week who we want to go in. We've got one each that will go straight into the Hall of Fame and then we'll also uh, have three others which we'll suggest to you and you can vote um, over the course of the next few weeks of who will go in ultimately the fourth person into the Hall of Fame. I know that Leslie Byron Pitt's going to be sitting there going, I fucking hate the Oscars. Why, why do they care so much about award recognition? <laughs> but, but to me, kind of, I don't know if you agree, Matt, but kind of the Oscars is kind of the crowning gl- glory, particularly of actors. Um, it's kind of the, the kind of crowning glory of their career. Yeah, yeah it probably makes a really good ornament to put on your fireplace as well. Yeah, <laughs> or murder weapon, because it's probably quite heavy. <laughs> No, but well, I'm never going to win one, so... <laughs> and you can't even buy them nowadays. It's been outlawed by the Academy. You've got to return them if you don't want them. Wow. As I said, we've all got one that's going to go straight into the Hall of Fame. We've all I've set a kind of... Um, a few regulations 
for it. They have to either be nominated themselves or starred in a nominated picture uh, to qualify. So you can't just bang out, you know, like, I'm trying to think of an example, Pierce Morgan <laughs> as kind of a, a, an option. Because um, I knew having you on the show, Nathan, we would have to try and set some ground rules so we get some serious contenders. <laughs> You've actually picked some very, very good options, apart from one of the yours. I, I know, yeah, because eight. my first few choices probably wouldn't have gone past your stupid rule system. <laughs> no, <laughs> absolutely. What's wrong with Tommy Wiseau? No. So my first choice is uh, probably no surprise to anybody that knows me. Um, he's the actor probably I love more than anybody. A bit of a man crush. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, nominated four times as an actor, as well as being part of the team who did The Wolf of Wall Street, so technically gets a nomination for the best motion picture there as well. Um, but actually the film that I probably think he should have won for it's never wasn't nominated, or at least he wasn't nominated for it, which was The Departed, um, which I personally believe is one of Scorsese's best films. I've, I've never seen it. Never seen it. <laughs> that film, for me, is one of his best, and it shows how dynamic he is as an actor. And actually, that kind of era of films that he was making, it sounds like era, sounds silly, because it wasn't that long ago, um, but stuff like that, and like Diamond as well, um, were all really, really strong films, really strong contenders. Like Blood Diamond, for example, was one he was nominated for, um, actor in a leading role, um, where he did a very convincing South African accent, definitely better than either of us could do. <laughs> we won't try because we might offend somebody. <laughs> Who are you putting straight into the Hall of Fame, Terry? I'm going to put in Bradley Cooper. Why? Uh, because he's he was in uh, a big reason was he was in Silver Linings Playbook, just brilliant. It's a great film. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that recently actually he was and obviously he cleaned up at the Oscars mm-hmm. it won like a ton of awards and um, Jay Logo didn't she uh, oh no actually no he, 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 he was nominated for a lot of awards mm-hmm. and then just Jennifer Lawrence won if I remember rightly actually I'm sure that was the case I'm sure yeah, Jennifer I think, Lawrence won I think the film won a, a Golden Globe for like best drama or comedy whatever that Comedy or musical, I think on that, but I don't, yeah, no, only one. J J Law was only on the one. For... That's it, right? So yeah, she she won for which is fair enough because she was fantastic in that. But mm. he was he was equally as good for the, in that yeah. role. I mean, I've always liked Bradley Cooper. I always thought he was good. I've I've always thought he was a pretty great actor. Right back from the days when he was in Alias. Alias, yeah, you know, wasn't that enough? Was. Yeah. yeah, and they got rid of him ironically because they, mm. they didn't think his character was up to snuff. Will Tipping in that. Or <laughs> did they realise that he was going? He was going to be the biggest thing in Alias by far. They could have done an Alias movie, and he'd have been the main star. He would have been, I think. Him and Jennifer Garner just auditions yeah. together. You can you actually think if they actually did a movie with Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Garner that Jennifer Garner probably wouldn't even make billing. Oh well, yeah, she would. <laughs> she, she would be top billed yeah. before. No. I mean, I'm surprised they hadn't actually made a film together because mm. they got on very well and they're still friends. She's probably, actually, no, she's probably she's probably still calling him saying Bradley, Jennifer, do you want to do a movie? Uh, no, I'm no, busy. I'm right. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm busy being a raccoon. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just the other day, I saw Bradley Cooper in uh, and the West End in The Elephant Man. Ah, oh, yeah, they're good. Which was, he's, and he's brilliant. He gives this really, really strong physical performance. You know, as John Merrick, uh, and it's the kind of performance that would be difficult for anybody to do. But he, he owns it really well. Um, I recommend that. It's on at the Haymarket Theatre until uh, the start of August. If you're in London, it's really good. But so you know, he's he's a, he's a good actor. So I I think for I think he was a bit robbed for Silver Linings Playbook, and I think there'll be more. 
opportunities for him later on. I think he he may well win one one day. Mm. Um, obviously, he was very good in American Sniper, even though that yeah. film had its issues. Yes. Um, well, also um, the uh, not not the sequel to Silver Linings Playbook, but where they reunited um, for oh, um, oh, Amy. That's the one, and Amy Adams and um, Christian Bale, the four of them, the four, the foursome doing American Hustle, and he was unlucky not to get anything for that as well. I've got my issues with that film anyway. Mm. I don't, I don't yeah. think it's, well, I don't think it's Oscar worthy really. But yeah, certainly, no, certainly not as good as, as Silver Linings. No, not not remotely. Um, it, but he got more traction, I think, to an extent behind it because of. Involved. But it was like, yeah, I think he's a good actor, and I, I think I think he deserves a nod potentially. And Latham, who are you putting straight in? Um, I'm going for someone who I surprisingly only learned was only nominated for an Academy Award once, and that's Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> Which one was he nominated for? Um, so best supporting actor for Pulp Fiction. Ah, it's got to be that one, isn't it? Yeah, and he's been nominated for nothing else. Who did he lose to? Do we know? Dave. <laughs> That's Latham's answer for, I don't know. <laughs> Best supporting actor. Best the thing is, I, I, it, it's, it's probably not going to happen either now. All the ones we've nominated so far, and I think all the ones that we're also going to put up for a vote, will potentially have an opportunity to win something. But obviously, is he like 60 or 70 now? He's about 65, Def I think. Definitely in his 60s. And he's kind of not done anything particularly serious in a long time. He, he could, depending on the size of his of his role, he could get one for um, the Hateful Eight. Mm, yeah, he's he's playing he's playing quite a big part in that, I think. Yeah, and that you know Tarantino's films they might divide people critically, but they quite often pick up Oscar nominations. That's obviously absolutely proved with Pulp Fiction. Mm. So um, yeah, that would be that would be interesting. And obviously, he's kind of coming to the end of his fury days now. So I suppose potentially he could make a conscious career decision to um, start saying no to stuff because infamously we know he says yes to practically everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes they work, like Kingsman, and uh, sometimes they don't. I bet you've, I bet you've Jennifer Garner found something like Jackson. Hey, Sam, is Jennifer Garner? Uh, movie, he'll probably say yes. <laughs> yeah, he would. He would say yes. He would. He would be in the Alias film. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Any other reason why you're putting Samuel Jackson in, other than the fact that he's Samuel Jackson? Just another reason. <laughs> <laughs> that means he doesn't have one. No, I guess, I guess not. I guess not. No, no, <laughs> it's, I, no I, I've, he's, he's one of my favourite actors. Mm. He's. He can do low key. Yeah. He can do. He can do low key. Low-key performances. I know. I would like to see him do low-key. <laughs> that sounds wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Have we just morphed into fan friction? I think, uh, yeah, I think we're going to, yeah, I think we're going to slash. Yeah. Some particularly nasty slash. <laughs> he's the best thing in Pulp Fiction. Mm. Um, he's probably the best thing in a lot of stuff he's been in. I remember watching him in The 51st Date with um, Robert Carlyle. Yeah. brilliant in that. Um, I think... Can't, I think I've watched Coach Carter. I can't remember, mm. but I do remember. Well, do yeah. remember him being. As, as it, 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 like he, if he starts making some smart decisions and stops making stuff like the other guys, um, which also features somebody else that's going to be nominated mm. at the moment. <laughs> I, I like yeah. the other guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's never going to win an Oscar, is it? 
you really are. Then, you know, he has the potential to equally pick up something, but I think out of the six that I know we're going to be potentially putting in, he's probably the least likely to pick anything up now. Um, the next three that we're all going to nominate will go up to a vote. Um, so until I'm next on the show, you'll have the chance to uh, let us know on Facebook or on Twitter who you think we should be putting in out of the three that we are going to nominate now. Uh, we'll go in reverse order. Um, so, ladies and who who would you like to nominate? My next nomination is another one who I'm quite surprised hasn't as well. Uh, this is Johnny Depp. Mm. I'm surprised he hasn't, but I'm glad he hasn't. <laughs> Why'd you say that? I hate Johnny Depp. It's, it's Tim Burton that I hate more than anybody. But because he seems to be Tim's buddy's bed partner, it just puts me off Johnny Depp. Well, he's he's one of these people, I think, again, he can do very similar to Samuel Jackson in that um, he's got a very wide range. But he, mm. Johnny Depp's not afraid to be to expand or be a character. No. I, mean, I mean, he's played quite a few characters and he's not afraid to go that extra mile and try and be eccentric um, he also can't say no it's <laughs> Tim Burton you can't say no no <laughs> yeah but it's, yeah but then, it, then it ends up in shit like um, Dark Shadows and um, Into the Woods <laughs> Into the Woods Mordecai Mordecai God Mordecai yeah. so this is why I'm surprised you've nominated because We've spoken about Johnny Depp quite a few times on the show, and he doesn't ever come up smelling like roses very often. <laughs> However, I will. I, it's true, but I will. I will backlight them here because Johnny Depp does do the odd film where you realise he's a good actor. Yeah, Donnie Brasco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great film. Um, I, I, I still like Edward Scissorhands. Probably the only Tim Burton film. Edward I do like. Scissorhands, great film. Ed Wood, which is a great film with Tim Burton. Um, very, very good film, and he's great in Ed Wood. He does the odd film where he punches above his weight, and, and unfortunately, he's got suckered into this Disney machine of franchise Burt, Tim Burton shit, where he's just playing comedy. And unfortunately, nobody's told Johnny Depp that he's not funny. No, this no, is, it, this is the problem. <laughs> I mean, he's, got, he's got he's got a long time coming though. Like in in recent years, he's also made Transcendence, and as you said, Mordecai, and yeah. um, the Run Diary, which would could have been good, but was just dull. And um, actually, one of the most recent ones he's done, Rango, if that kind of counts, uh, animated film um, uh, back in 2011. That was a good film. Um, but arguably, in terms of live action, he seems to be, as you said, sucking into making crap like Pirates of the Caribbean. No offence, Pirates of the Caribbean yeah. fans. I, I like <laughs> no offend them. Yeah. I, I like the first one. The first, the first, the first one's alright. But, yeah, the but one's then right. they keep making more. A bit like... Um, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, yeah. Again, you know, could have been kind of could have been okay, but you yeah, know, well, there'll, there'll be an Alice in Wonderland too. I think if not, well, there is next year. Alice, Alice through the Looking Glass. Next year. However, there is Black Mass later this Black year. Black Mass. Yeah, we talked about that one, didn't we? Now, Black Mass is yeah has potential to be Johnny Depp's next Donny Brasco-ish kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Let's not write him off yet because no. if, if he gets something like that, it could. Because uh, I think after Mordecai, I think he's going to. And Alice in Wonderland, I suspect somebody might start saying to him, Johnny, you gotta, you've got to pack this in now. Mm. Yeah. Well, he could end up going like Liam Neeson where he just start playing hard like, action characters. That well, would be really p- strange. Potent- top. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Potentially, like Samuel Jackson, he could be coming to his end to his Disney contract mm. now. 
he's, he's got, as I said, Alice and Pirates of the Caribbean uh, both out in the next two years. Um, and he's got quite a fair few behind him now. Into the Woods, Lone Ranger, Pirates of the Caribbean, Stranger Tides, mm. Alice in Wonderland. So that's like four released in the last you know five years. So hopefully he's exceeded his contract and somebody will tell him not to sign a new one. Yeah. <laughs> as much money as they offer him, yeah. say no. <laughs> I've, always had, I've, also, I've always had a soft spot for the astronaut's wife. She was quite mm. creepy in that. Mm. In fact, all our choices really probably will divide opinion in some way. Uh, Tony's, yours is? Mine's Mark Wahlberg. Nobody's better. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Again, made some awful films. Marky Mark. He has made some awful films, but he's also made films like... Three Kings, which mm-hmm. was a great film, a very very good film. Uh, he's made The Departed, where yeah. he was fantastic in The Departed. He was Along, alongside my straight nomination, Leonardo DiCaprio. There you go, alongside uh, Leo. Um, terrific film, should have been nominated for that actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights is one of the best films of the nineties, you know, by far. And it's, not, not not bad in The Fighter either. Yeah, yeah, The Fighter, terrific in The Fighter. Um, so you know, he'll, he'll, yeah, he'll turn around and then he'll make a shooter, or he'll make pain and gain. Yeah, or you know, broken city, broken city. <laughs> the four brothers, the Italian job. He does, he does, he does enough shit. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but then he'll turn around. All the happening. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Don't. laughs> the happening! Have you ever seen the happening, ladies? Oh, please watch the happening, please. Yeah. It's so and, and, and review that as a, review our next classic. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> classic. Honestly, the happening. Oh, and we've missed one. Transformers: Age of Extinction. Well, yeah, and and the next one, by the sound of it, because I think he's coming back for the next one. Oh, Max yeah. Payne as well. Yes, he's done a lot uh. of crap, but <laughs> he's 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 always good. I always find he's very rare that he's in a bad film, and he's not just slightly better than the material. It's mm. why it's why I think I, I dare say one day I will unfortunately watch Transformers Four. Mm. Well, it's, it's like Broken City. It's it's. Both him and Russell Crowe are let down by what is just a bad film. Yeah. That you know neither of them come off particularly badly in it. It's just a bad film. Yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. When you pull, when you pair him up with a, a Paul Thomas Anderson or a David O. Russell, you know, or um, uh, or, or a uh, as Martin Scorsese. I mean, you, you know, you're talking. I, th- I think he'd be good with Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah. You put him with a Tarantino. You put him with a Christopher Nolan. You put him with these greats. He will give a good performance. Mm. You put him with an M Night Shyamalan, you're gonna get what you're gonna get. What you're gonna get, are you? you know, yeah. This is the point. Yeah. So if you look at his career, the, 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 the films that have been shit that he's not done well in are films that mm. are like shit directors, and it, it, you yeah. know, and he makes some bad choices. Yeah, but they all do. Johnny Depp does. Sam yeah. Jackson does. It, it's a common theme, you know. Yeah. So yeah, he's, he's good enough. He's good enough to get an Oscar. The final nomination, which is my nomination, is also part of the Disney machine um, slash Marvel. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., mm. um, most recently famous for obviously being Iron Man, but despite that, hasn't made that many bad films. Granted, obviously, he went through a, a very, very quiet period um, in uh, kind of the early kind of two thousands, where he was going through his drug issues. Um, but obviously, yeah. Back <laughs> yeah. There'll always be one or two, but one or two. Um, you know, I'll defend him in the fact that out of the uh, three that's been nominated, he's probably made less crap films. <laughs> yeah. But then he did also make Chef, but that was a fake. I like Chef. It? In fact, I watched Chef uh, last night. Netflix. 
Arthur's Chef was great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there we go. He didn't make a bad film. Hasn't yeah, made a bad yeah. film in ages. Yeah. Um, he's hardly in Chef. He's only yeah. in like one in one um, And he oddly was nominated for Tropic Thunder. That was one of the films oh he was nominated for. Um, which I kind of have a soft spot for. Well, brilliantly liked, awful. I did like Tropic Thunder, but... I don't know how he got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really don't know how he got away with um, it. Also nominated back in 1992 for Chaplin, um, yeah. which I think is oh, yeah. you know, a decent yeah, film. And despite being having to rival Benedict Cumberbatch, actually is not a bad Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Um, and the third one is, is, is he's apparently due um, within the next few years, whether it will happen or not, we'll wait and see. Yeah, But he, you know, he made quite a lot in the 80s and, and, and you know, kind of early to late 90s um, it was obviously as I said when he was kind of going through his issues that everything kind of disappeared a little bit and he started st- starring and stuff like Gothica um, but there was also Kiss, King, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Kiss Bang 2000 brilliant film, brilliant film 2005 uh, yeah um, but obviously you know real resurgence was in 2008 when he came back as Iron Man and he's not done all that much since as I say he did Tropic Thunder he does Zodiac. all <laughs> very good in Zodiac yeah that, the soloist uh, Sherlock Holmes Drew Date which we won't oh, talk oh, about yeah, um, uh, on, and, and Chef and then most recently last year which um, his co-star got nominated for was The Judge um, not the most exciting film in the world but again he gives a solid performance however unlike the other nominations he's not got a lot coming up He's got Sherlock Holmes 3, as I said, which has been rumoured, and obviously Captain America Civil War. So unless he's keeping things close to his chest, he's not got that much coming out in the next couple of years. He's become... I mean, he's now he's now on a par with Tom Cruise in terms mm. of the fact that you could put his name above a film. And Absolutely. Yeah. So and Tom Cruise only does one film a year now, pretty much. Yeah. Because he doesn't have to do anymore. You know, and he, he, you know, even though Mission Impossible is huge... It's huge because of Tom Cruise. Yeah. So you can say the same in many ways about a lot of Marvel. Marvel has do- partly done so well. It's 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 a two way process. I think Marvel gave him that career boost, but he's given Marvel equally, I think, a boost themselves. Yeah. So he's kind of become the kind of guy now that he doesn't really have to do much. He only no. has to walk into a room and everyone loves him. Yeah. You know, it's like it's it's bizarre really, but it. He's a, he is, despite all his troubles and everything, and, and he is a great actor. There's, there's, yeah, absolutely. You know. So that's your three nominations you can vote on. As I said, Facebook or Twitter. Our Twitter is at Black Hole Cinema, and it's the same for the Facebook, um, without the at, obviously. Uh, so you've got Robert Downey Jr., Mark Wahlberg, or Johnny Depp, who will join uh, Samuel Jackson, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Bradley Cooper, who are currently in our Hall of Fame. Once we've filled up the Hall of Fame of people that should have won Oscars, we'll probably do the reverse and do people that shouldn't have won Oscars. <laughs> shit! Oh, shit! That'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I know there's some fans of him out there. Bloody Nicolas Cage. I have a whole IMDb list of people that should have won Oscars over Nicolas Cage. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. yeah, that, that knocking in here is probably Chris Wilson with an axe. <laughs> 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 Nicolas Cage. Nicolas there's, somebody, there's actually someone I worked with I recently, um, I recently hired uh, a few months ago who fucking loves Nicolas Cage and like, I can't like every, every film I go he made this he goes but he made this and I'm like yeah but it's shite it's like oh I love it <laughs> I was like you're an idiot and I shouldn't have hired you I would say there is a, there is a whole one of the big things in, in Mr. Holmes is that he's a beekeeper 
mm. um, Sherlock Holmes, and obviously there's a lot of stuff involving where he's at his apiary and all this. And genuinely, there were more than one time in that while I was watching that film where in my head I'm going, "Not the bees!" It's really, <laughs> it really was. It really was. Uh, so that's your free nominations to choose from. You can vote on Twitter or Facebook. And that brings us to the end of the show as well. I did warn you it wouldn't be quite as analytical and as in-depth as Tony's and Emma's. Just just a bit of fun, really, because I was scraping the barrel of <laughs> what I would do. So, That's fine. Um, uh, me and Emma, you know, we, we don't provide fun, so someone's got to do it. Yeah. So if you ever want to listen to a fun one, then just ignore everybody else. Just come on, come listen to mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, don't do that. Do go back and listen to... Um, the last two weeks, uh, if not for the reviews, but for the features. Uh, they're both fantastic. And we'll be back next week um, for more reviews. Um, Emma Platt will be hosting. Um, and the main review, obviously, with Minions, um, which no doubt will knock Jurassic World off the top spot. But nothing is a given when it's Jurassic World. Mm. Um, it could bloody go on for months and it st- might well still be. It was definitely be in the top ten, that's for sure. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it comes September it's still showing in yeah. cinemas. The way it's going. Um, September 2016. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. But until the next one comes out. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Thomas Taylor. Uh, Tony on Twitter. Uh, at Black Hole Writer. And obviously the Black Hole Cinema one is Black Hole Cinema. And Matt Latham is at The Bottle Lep. And at Zander Matt. Are you ever going to start Bottle Up, Matt? <laughs> oh, might be. It might, it might be very, 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 very soon, or sooner than you may think. Keep an, keep an eye on that Twitter feed in the next couple of days. Hashtag cryptic. Exciting. <laughs> um, so Hashtag very, very soon. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next week. Um, and until then, we'll keep watching the films that you don't have to. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.